Today is Wednesday, April the 26th, 2023. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key, and do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how big tech companies are using your personal data? Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network, prn.live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. Another round of mass layoffs expected at Meta. Meta, formerly Facebook, is expected to issue another round of mass layoffs according to citing several sources working at the company. The layoffs are part of a broader restructuring at Meta that CEO Mark Zuckerberg has dubbed the Year of Efficiency. In March, Zuckerberg said the company would cut 10,000 jobs in the coming months, particularly the ones related to low-priority projects. This is on top of the 11,000 jobs that were cut in November. This past week, layoffs could be in the range of 4,000 jobs. It's not unexpected. Zuckerberg had previously said April cuts would affect roles in tech departments, while another round of layoffs planned for May will hit the business side. Some have speculated that many projects and teams within the Facebook app and Reality Labs, the unit dedicated to augmented and virtual reality experiences, will see the axe soon. However, those working on developing games might be safer now as Meta works to market its Metaverse gamble to traditional gamers, according to a report from Business Insider. That could be a strategic pivot for Meta and Zuckerberg, both of which have promoted the Metaverse as a place for social interactions, work, and e-commerce. Meta poured billions into its social virtual reality platform Horizon Worlds, However, Horizon Worlds hasn't really taken off, with only about 200,000 monthly active users at the end of last year. Alphabet loses $55 billion in market value after Samsung reportedly considers replacing Google with Bing in its phones. Alphabet erased $55 billion in market value last week after a report said competition is heating up in the search market. According to the New York Times, Samsung may replace Google with Microsoft's Bing as the default search engines in its phones. Such a move would put about $3 billion in revenue at risk for Alphabet, which has long faced little competition. Alphabet stock lost $55 billion in market value, which suggested that competition is heating up in the mobile search market. The report said that Samsung is considering replacing Google as the default search engine across its lineup of devices in favor of Microsoft's Bing Search, which could put about $3 billion in annual revenue at risk for Alphabet. A similar contract between Alphabet and Apple, which is worth about $20 billion in annual revenue to Alphabet, is due for renewal later this year. Google employees were shocked when they learned in March that Samsung was considering replacing Google and internal messages of Alphabet employees reviewed by the New York Times showed panic among staff. Google has been facing increased competition in search for 
the first time in decades after Microsoft incorporated OpenAI's ChatGPT into its Bing search results earlier this year. Google has long held an essential monopoly on the search market, commanding a market share of about 90%. And Alphabet is working hard to defend its market share, according to the report, with a team of more than 160 people working to incorporate artificial intelligence features into its Google search product. But that might not be enough if Samsung decides to set Bing as the default search engine across the hundreds of millions of devices it ships each year. While Google could still be made the primary search engine on Samsung devices of a deal between Samsung and Microsoft goes through, it would require users to change the phone settings on their own to make the change. Samsung has a long-standing relationship with both Alphabet and Microsoft as it pre-installs various apps from both companies on its devices and negotiations between Samsung and Microsoft are still going and could still end up with Google as its default provider, according to the report. But the report highlights just how much is at stake for Alphabet to defend its market share in search and regain its competitiveness in the generative AI search market at which ChatGPT is thriving. An initial showcase of Google's answer to ChatGPT dubbed Bard was a flop. Ghost jobs are the latest thing workers need to worry about. Ghost jobs or fake listings for positions that a company isn't actually hiring for are adding to a confusing and frustrating job market. Unless you are living under a nice protective rock from corporate buzzwords, you've likely heard of the Great Resignation, the hot jobs market that began in 2021 as millions of Americans quit every month, trading up for something better. As some of these workers came to regret their decisions, quiet quitting entered the chat in 2022, a trend defined by some as doing the bare minimum at work and debunked by others as people just doing their job. 2023 brings news of the ghost job, the posting that is technically open but likely won't ever get filled. It calls every bit of the 2020s job market narrative into question, exposing the uncertainty and lack of transparency in the economy and workforce. If you ever applied to a job only to hear back that the company isn't actually hiring for the listing, you've likely come in contact with one of these phantom postings. Nearly a third, 27%, of hiring managers admit to leaving job postings up for more than four months, per a survey from Clarify Capital of 1,000 hiring managers in the summer of 2022, as reported by the Wall Street Journal. The reasons are plenty. Ghost jobs give the impression that the company is doing better than it is, provide hiring managers with a pool of candidates to choose from when workers quit down the line, and assuage employees who are overworked without actually alleviating the workload. But the ghost jobs also rock economists' assumptions about the economy. The Great Resignation narrative took hold largely because one economic indicator, the jolts or job openings and labor turnover survey, which all of a sudden began showing huge jumps in job openings and quits in 2021. For 20 months, there were at least 10 million job openings, 
But if many of those jobs openings were ghosts all along, then the strength of the market becomes less of a statement and more of a question. It's enough to make a candidate think they're losing touch with reality or at least make them frustrated. To be fair, these ghost jobs are distorting reality, a smoke and mirror trick from companies that some workers think we've already seen enough of. Some people have accused companies, especially those within the tech and finance sector, of forcing layoffs and slashing perks as a way to keep their workers in line and bring back the ways of the past. In a workplace already swirling with recession fears and forced office returns, these ghost jobs are only adding to worker dismay. For the past two years, workers have held the upper hand, but as the economy created a tug of war between them and their bosses, they've been growing increasingly anxious. Last summer, about 80% of the U.S. workforce said they fear for their job security if a recession hit. Unemployment was and still is relatively low. But that didn't keep the nerves at bay. Layoffs that follow at companies like Twitter or Goldman Sachs added to the fear. But that doesn't mean all is doom and gloom. While the layoff rates in many of these industries are high compared to other industries during that time period, many of these rates are actually low compared to pre-pandemic years. Still though, anxiety over an uncertain job market isn't deterring some workers from looking for what they want. Fueled by their need for well-paying jobs and better opportunities, a whopping majority, 96% of employees reported in a Monster.com survey that they're looking for a new position this year in order to have better pay. Many Gen Zers are reportedly worried about a recession, but they still feel positively about the labor market. In the end, many job seekers are saying, boo to these ghost jobs. But that doesn't stop these fake listings from being a worker hassle that needs to be busted. BuzzFeed News is shutting down. Former editor-in-chief Ben Smith explores what went wrong, a story that mirrors larger shifts in the internet media ecosystem and the evolution of social media platforms and public opinions about them. The end of BuzzFeed News also signals a vast shift in digital media that those of us who live inside it are feeling intensely right now, the end of one era and the beginning of another, wrote Smith. BuzzFeed co-founder Jonah Peretti had built BuzzFeed into a traffic juggernaut by being among the first to see the rising social web. But BuzzFeed never found a new path when that trend turned against them when consumers found their Facebook feeds toxic, not delightful, when platforms decided news was poison, and when Facebook, Twitter, and the rest simply stopped distributing links to websites. Peretti created BuzzFeed in 2006 while he was working at Huffington Post, as it was then called, which he co-founded. In 2020, BuzzFeed, shaky but still apparently ascendant, acquired HuffPost off the hands of its latest owner, Verizon. They basically paid BuzzFeed to take it off their hands. But as the social tide receded, HuffPost's giant, old-fashioned front page has remained surprisingly vital. In its first iteration as a liberal answer to the Drudge Report, it had hooked a generation of baby boomers in the mid-aughts 
with a mix of giddy coverage of Barack Obama and salacious celebrity gossip. Drudge and Huffington Post, the old portos that propped up the internet of the mid-aughts, will outlive the social media age along with, of all things, Yahoo. One of Amazon's most aggressive projects right now is a plan to launch a home internet service. Recently, Amazon has started to open up about its plans for its home internet service, currently codenamed Project Kuiper. Now Amazon CEO has given an update on the service and when it plans to start selling home internet in a letter to shareholders. In the letter to shareholders, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy gave a quick update on the service that included when they plan to sell home internet and the rough cost of the starter kit. According to Mr. Jassy, Amazon plans to start selling its home internet service in 2024 in a small beta market, much like how SpaceX Starlink service started off beta testing the service to customers in just a few markets. Amazon seems to be planning the same thing as Amazon slowly rolling out home internet across the United States and the world over the next few years. Look for signups for Amazon's home internet service to start in 2024, but expect there'll be a waiting list, much like SpaceX Starlink service. Amazon has also given us a rough idea of the cost of the startup kit that will include the dish you need to receive internet, and according to Amazon, the cost to make the standard residential dish will be roughly $400. If Amazon is able to keep the cost to the consumer around that price, it will be able to undercut SpaceX $600 residential startup cost significantly. To make this all happen, Amazon plans to start launching test satellites later this year with the hope of quickly speeding up the launches in the years to come. In October of 2022, Amazon announced their Project Kuiper would launch more than 3,000 satellites into low Earth orbit to offer this home internet service. To do this, Amazon has announced plans to build the required satellites in Kirkland, Washington. Amazon has also secured a deal with ULA Arion Space and Blue Origin to launch these satellites into space starting in early 2023. With this deal, Amazon hopes to launch multiple prototypes into space to test the system before mass production starts. Amazon is facing a deadline as the FCC has given it until mid-2026 to have 1,600 satellites in space or face losing its FCC approval for the project. Here is what Amazon CEO said in the letter to the shareholders. Kuiper is another example of Amazon innovating for customers over the long term in an area where there's high customer demand. Our vision for Kuiper is to create a low earth orbit satellite system to deliver high quality broadband internet service to places around the world that don't currently have it. There are hundreds of millions of households and businesses who don't have reliable access to the internet. Imagine what they'll be able to do with reliable connectivity from people taking online education courses, using financial services, starting their own businesses, doing their shopping, enjoying entertainment, to businesses and governments improving their coverage.
efficiency, and operations. Kaipa will deliver not only accessibility, but affordability. Our teams have developed low-cost antennas, that is to say, customer terminals that will lower the barriers to access. We recently unveiled the new terminals that will communicate with a satellite passing overhead, and we expect to be able to produce our standard residential version for less than $400 each. This more, 11 inches square, 1 inch thick, and weighs less than 5 pounds without their mounting bracket. But they deliver speeds up to 400 megabits per second, and they're powered by Amazon Design Baseband chips. We're preparing to launch two prototype satellites to test the entire end-to-end communications network this year and plan to be in beta with commercial customers in 2024. The customer reaction to what we've shared thus far about Kuiper has been very positive, and we believe Kuiper represents a very large potential opportunity for Amazon. It also shares several similarities to the Amazon Web Service in that it's capital-intensive at the start, but has a large prospective consumer enterprise and government customer base, significant revenue and operating profit potential, and relatively few companies with a technical and inventive aptitude, as well as the investment hypothesis to go after it. In other words, they're competing with SpaceX, and let's hope they both do well, because in competition, they'll lower the price for the service. Seagate fined $300 million for selling hard disk drives to blacklisted Huawei. New York City is ground zero for clashes that occur between transportation users competing for limited parking spaces. For delivery companies, the tight fit means racking up astronomical parking fines as a cost of doing business. In 2018, for example, FedEx incurred $14.9 million in fines, according to the New York City Department of Finance. UPS, a whopping $33.8 million. The total amount of commercial parking fines occurred in New York City in 2018 was $181.5 million, meaning the two delivery giants were responsible for about one quarter of the city's commercial parking fines in 2018. UPS pays for parking tickets that result as a cost of doing business in order to support the flow of critical commerce, said a spokesman representing UPS. Dense urban centers can pose challenges where no legal parking may be available. We've told our drivers that if a loading zone or legal parking space is not available, they may double park in order to serve the needs of our business customers. FedEx similarly responded by saying parking limitations in congested metropolitan areas like New York City create challenges, but we always strive to comply with local traffic regulations as we meet our daily customer service commitments. FedEx also participates in programs many cities have to more efficiently manage parking and fine payment processes. Well, who really pays the fines? For FedEx and UPS, the fines are a cost of business. The expenses pass on to the one who pays for the delivery service. Well, what happens when there is a commerce department ban prohibiting exports to a Chinese tech company and the ban is not observed? On May the 15th, 
2019, the Bureau of Industry and Security, an agency of the United States Department of Commerce, added the Chinese multinational technology company Huawei and 70 other foreign subsidiaries and affiliates to its entity list under the Export Administration Regulations, thus effectively blacklisting the company and banning U.S. companies from doing business with them without a government license. The document published by the Bureau of Industry and Security explained that Huawei knowingly and willfully caused the direct and indirect export, sale, and supply of goods, technology, and services from the United States to Iran and Iranian government without securing a license from the Office of Foreign Assets Control of the Department of Treasury. Despite the rule going into effect in August of 2020, Seagate continued to sell hard disk drives to the company for over a year. With Huawei's other suppliers ceasing shipments, this made Seagate the sole supplier of this equipment. The United States Department of Commerce claims that Seagate violated U.S. export laws when it sold hard disk drives to Huawei between August 2020 and September 2021. It said Seagate shipped 7.4 million hard disk drives worth over $1.1 billion in total to the blacklisted company. Seagate sold 7.4 million hard disk drives to Huawei, raking in a profit of $150 million, despite a U.S. blacklist restricting exports to the Chinese company. U.S. computer storage giant Seagate has been fined $300 million for shipping over 7 million hard disk drives to Huawei, despite a Commerce Department ban prohibiting exports to the Chinese tech company. The fine marks the largest penalty lodged against a company for doing business with Huawei since it was added to the trade blacklist and comes amid a rapidly escalating tech war between the United States and China. The Commerce Department claims Seagate sent 7.4 million hard disk drives to Huawei between August 2020 and September 2021. That's bad timing for Seagate, considering the Commerce Department's restrictions on these specific tech exports to Huawei took effect in early August 2020. Despite the period, Seagate reported raking in $150 million in profits for the sales. Seagate ultimately passes the amount of the fine to the consumer. The shipping violation is, for the most part, barely reported in the news, if at all. Who loses in this case? It's not only you and I as a consumer paying for the cost of the fine. The security of the country becomes more vulnerable. Seagate continues to do business. In 2021, Seagate accounted for 43% of the hard disk drive market by units shipped, while Western Digital shares stood at 37%. As a result, Seagate confirmed its position at the top of the global hard disk drive rankings. In other words, you can't shut down an ongoing global operation. Microsoft is slowly rolling out ads in the Windows 11 Start menu. The latest Windows 11 update adds promotional notifications to bait users into using services like OneDrive. Some Windows 11 users will see a little promotion when they click on the Start button. Microsoft's latest Windows 11 update released just recently 
offers a few small bugs and compatibility fixes as well as a lighter taskbar. Oh, and there's one small tiny extra detail. A small number of Windows 11 users will now see notifications, encouraging them to use other Microsoft products when clicking on the Windows Start menu. Many Windows users are already decrying the change as just another way Microsoft is trying to shove more native ads into its operating system. These definitely not ads appear as a kind of promotion when users click on the Windows button on the desktop, asking them to, for instance, back up your files. Clicking the Start Backup button will open OneDrive, enticing users to sign up for Microsoft's cloud backup and service. You get five gigabytes of OneDrive data for free, but that's not enough for a full backup. Microsoft shared a small screenshot of what the promotions look like with the text appearing directly above a user sign out and account setting options. Previous reports from beta users of Windows Insider confirm the new feature. Beta users were able to disable the ads. These not ads have been a long time coming. Windows 11 beta users have shared screenshots showing Microsoft may not just stop at putting notifications in the start menu. Windows Insider user posted a screenshot of an ad appearing in File Explorer with a message near the top advocating for Microsoft Editor. Microsoft has long tried promoting products like its Edge browser directly inside the Windows 10 start menu and File Explorer. Despite some updates offering clear improvements for the operating system, such as tabs on File Explorer and a native video editor, Microsoft has been trying to put its software suite front and center on its operating system. In February, the company baked its Bing AI directly into Windows 11 taskbar. The OS also added an annoying watermark on any computer that doesn't meet its official requirements. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell. This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. This is where we pause to talk about how technology is evolving, and we talk about how it impacts us in the workplace and so much more. And I, 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 I try to always be a straight shooter. I try to be honest with everyone. And sometimes I sometimes there are times where I've got to where I feel like I've got to just dial it back a little bit and I I want to be kind and I want to be gentle. And there are other times where you know I revel in the idea of telling you the truth. And this is one of those times. We look back at the news from the last three months or so. And there's a lot of chicken little talk. There's a lot of the sky is falling and we are all going to be put out of a job. Okay, yes, there are some journalists that are going to be put out of a job because AI is capable of writing very nice articles out there. But chat GPT is nothing more, and I love how somebody put this, it is the next level 
of word completion, of next level of autocorrect, the next level engine that's driving a little bit more in the way of words. Yes, it is another level. It is something that's above and beyond what we've had. And it seems amazing. But then, because of how people put it, it seems scary. So they're talking about all of these different jobs that may no longer exist. Travel agents is one of them. Travel agents actually haven't been around for a while. Everybody's using Expedia or all of these other different Google flights or whatever it is to travel from point A to point B. Most people do not use travel agents. The whole idea of travel agents has been gone for about 10 years, 15, maybe 20 years. So, yeah. The next item, telemarketers. Well, actually, a lot of telemarketing has already been automated and has been for a while. It has nothing to do with artificial intelligence. There's a little bit of that uh, interactive voice response items. You know, when you dial someplace, press one. Say the word one if you'd like to go to, yeah, whatever it is. It's already out there. It's fine. Uh, and, And frankly, No offense to telemarketers, but I'm already contacted way too much in regards to uh, do do I want new insurance for my car? Do I want a new warranty for this, that or the other thing? It's, you know, it's it's one of those things that, yes, it exists out there, but I'm I'm okay with that. Cashiers. Well, honestly, we've actually had self-checkout for quite a while now. And that isn't necessarily artificial intelligence. That's actually shifting the intelligence from a cashier over to us. It's shifting it from somebody who knows right where the barcode is and how to use those barcode scanners a lot faster and a lot more efficiently than any of us ever could. Because I haven't had training on the barcode machine or knowing where the barcode is on every single box. And then there's... Data entry clerks. And yes, artificial intelligence can now scan documents and put in data a lot more accurately and a lot more efficiently than you or I can. But I'll tell you, it was, uh, what are we talking about? I think that was about 15 years ago when we had the scanning software that we were putting into the company I was working for. And it could detect exactly where all of this text was. It could fill in the blanks. It could assign it wherever it goes. So let's let's look back in time. I'm going to give you some examples from decades ago. Uh, examples where we no longer see these anymore. Switchboard operators, they're gone. Nobody talks about the fact that automation removed the whole idea of a switchboard operator. The whole idea of somebody manually putting the the cords over. If you look at an old movie from the 50s or so, you'll see this. But it's no longer around. And then there was something, an elevator operator. Because back years ago, somebody had to be trusted to press the button on the wall to go up to the 14th floor. You couldn't do it yourself. 
Well, okay, yeah, they actually had to. They had a little bit more in regards to they controlled it, much like uh, an old old fashioned amusement park uh, roller coaster operator would. And even that, even that has been automated to some extent. They're checking visually and manually for the fact that you've pulled the bar down and stuff like that. And then we move on to uh, another area, typists. That You know, this is a job that, you know, there used to be typists in every big, this is all they would do. They would just type and they would transfer the information from a recording that the boss made. They would write up letters. But these days, most people, they do their own typing. They do their own uh, emails and they do their own chats and all of that. And it it's just fine. We've evolved away from that. Then there's, then there's the milkman. Okay, I, I will be fair with this one. I still have my milk delivered. I still have a milkman. But you know what? I don't have to. I can go down to the local grocery store and I can pick up, yes, a gallon of milk. And it's just it just as easy as having it dropped off. Look, technology will constantly shift and it will constantly change what jobs are available out there and who has jobs in what field. But we will shift we always have and we always will shift to new locations. So don't worry about it. The media is just a big, huge hype machine. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. Google has words of wisdom extending the battery charge of Android phones. Android-powered smartphones come equipped with many features that help them maintain their battery life. To help users learn more about these tools, Google shined a spotlight on five battery-saving tips on its website. Low Power Mode Some Android phones come with a battery saver or low power mode, which helps a charge last longer. When battery saver is on, it turns on Android's dark theme and limits or turns off background activity. Another feature is avoid keeping phone screen on. To save battery life, users should also try to limit using navigation for a long period of time. Similarly, watching videos or playing graphics, heavy games all the time can deplete your battery life more quickly. Then limit background processes. If you find your phone's battery dies quicker than it once used to, limiting your background processes may help. That's because it uses less RAM or random access memory, which can improve your device's performance over the long run. You can set the process limit between 0 and 4, so try out a few options to see which is best for your device. And avoid constant internet connection. Google recommends... Users should avoid doing these activities for long periods of time. Google advises turn off tethering and hotspots when you're not using them, which means the ability to tether your phone for hotspots, use GPS for long periods, stream videos or music, make phone calls on the move like in a car. Well, if you turn it off when you're not using those functions, your battery will last longer. And finally, limit connectivity and location. Another way that can help your phone's performance and battery usage 
is by disabling Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. By doing this, you're preventing your device from aimlessly searching for networks to join. Smartphones can drain very quickly depending on how you're using them. Google has highlighted these settings that could make your battery last longer between recharges. Be a responsible citizen when disposing electronic equipment. Get rid of old, broken, and unused devices without adding to the e-waste problem. There's a good chance your unwanted gadget can return to useful service. Recycling should be your last resort. But if there's nothing else for your gadget, there are ways to recycle electronics responsibly. Global e-waste topped 50 million metric tons in 2019, according to the United Nations Global E-Waste Monitor. And just 17.4% of that waste was collected and recycled. Too many old electronics end up in landfills and e-waste graveyards where they poison communities. The problem is only growing worse. The Waste Electrical and Electronics Equipment, that's the WEEE Forum, estimated that 5.3 billion phones dropped out of use last year alone. Governments, companies, and people are waking up to the fact that we must do better. The big question is how? Well, here are some resources, services, and ideas that can help. Before you throw devices away, consider using them for a little longer. Do you really need to upgrade? If you are dead set on shopping for a new device, do your research to find ethical and eco-friendly electronics. Look for manufacturers and retailers with trade-in and recycling programs. You should also consider buying products used on eBay or other marketplaces or look for refurbished devices. Manufacturers like Apple and Samsung offer refurbished devices at a discount, and you can find loads of refurbished goods on the internet. Another option is to trickle down devices onto family members, friends, and neighbors who can use them is the best way to squeeze maximum value out of them. Don't let devices gather dust in a junk drawer or closet and waste away. Get them into someone else's hands who can use them as quickly as possible because the older the devices get, the less positive impact they can make. If you don't know anyone who can use your old electronics, try the Free Cycle Network or local Buy Nothings group to find folks interested in freebies. Whether you plan to squeeze a bit more out of a device, want to pass it along to someone, or plan on selling it, repairing or refurbishing it first is a smart move. If you want to try and repair device, YouTube is a great place to find repaired videos. There's no shortage of repair videos for the specific gadget you're looking to repair. One thing to be mindful of when attempting to repair a phone, laptop, or another device with a battery inside is to drain the battery before you open it up. For repairs on major white good appliances, rubber gloves and rubber sole boots can minimize the risk of getting shot. If you lack the confidence to attempt repairs, you can likely find a good local repair shop by reading reviews. The Federal Trade Commission found that independent repair shops have the same success rate 
and safety record as manufacturer shops. Many manufacturers have discouraged repairs with a threat of warranty voiding, but victories for the right to repair movement have led to tech getting slightly more repairable. Just be careful to back up and protect sensitive data on your device before handing them in at repair shops. Some devices might even have a built-in solution. For example, Samsung phone owners can activate maintenance mode before handing a device off to ensure that photos and accounts can't be accessed. You can sell old devices. Even broken devices can be sold for parts, though you will always command a higher fee if you clean and repair them first. You can also score a discount off something new with trade-in or buyback schemes. Remember to factory reset it first if the option is available before selling your equipment. You can generally command the highest fee by selling directly to people through eBay, Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, or Nextdoor. Just remember that you would need to arrange delivery or meet up to exchange the goods and buyers often like to haggle. For a haggle-free or hassle-free sale, consider places like Swappa, that's S-W-A-P-P-A, Declutter, that's D-E-C-L-U-T-T-R, or Gadget Pickup. These kinds of buyers use online questionnaires to determine a price and often provide free postage. Shop around and see who offers the best price, but be honest in your descriptions or you may find that your quote gets reduced after inspection. Take back or trade-in programs are another easy option, though you'll probably won't make as much as you would through a sale. If you like the idea of your old electronics doing some good, consider donating them to worthy causes. Goodwill is one of the best options because the company has a strong reuse hierarchy and aims to get as much as it can out of electronics before recycling them. You can also find local charities that accept electronics through Donation Town. Cell Phone for Soldiers is a nonprofit that sends overseas troops prepaid mobile phones so they can stay in touch with loved ones. Recycle Health is another nonprofit that collects fitness trackers and gives them to underserved populations to encourage fitness. See whether the original manufacturer of your device has a recycling scheme. Retailers like Best Buy and Staples will accept and recycle your old phones, laptops, and other electronics. Local facilities that handle electronics for reuse and recycling sometimes have community drop-off events. Local municipalities often have electronics collection once or twice a year, so it's worth looking to see whether there are any schedule in your area. Not all recycling centers and schemes are equal. SERI administers the R2 standard to set best practices for protecting the environment, worker health and safety, and natural resources. An R2 certified facility will ensure any use electronics are processed responsibly, including any residual data on devices. While most aren't set up for consumer drop-off, there is a search tool to filter for those that do. You can also find a long list of international e-waste Recycling links at iFixit, Checkout, Core to Recycle for Batteries, and Find Recycling Locations through Earth 911. Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston.
We we talk about other things other than computers. You we want talk, to talk about, about flooring. Flooring? Yeah, flooring used to be oh, what all carpet or all wood or all tile. Well, you and know, then was that Irish inventor linoleum. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it's interesting you bring that up because I, I, I've been looking at at flooring lately because okay, we we've got hardwood floors and uh, my wife and I are going back and forth in regards to do we do we strip them down, sand them down, whatever it is, and reseal them and all the garbage with that, or do we go with high tech flooring? And I, I, I've been struggling on this one. That's because high tech flooring is. Not one category. It's many. Okay. But let me get to one thing that's purpose-built. This is from Tarquette, and they make a million different kinds of flooring. Okay. Uh, their new even plane is a plank-style luxury vinyl tile, LVT product, with a boosted shut-up factor. Uh, okay. So <laughs> so it's, it's, so it's quieter? Is that what that is? Yeah. Inside okay. the planks, there's a non-woven fiberglass layer. That resists both indentation and it absorbs a lot of vibration. So, mm -hmm. you know, topside wear layer, all this stuff has that. They call these planks because of their shape. But what's surprising is on one axis, it's flexible. On okay. the other, it doesn't bend so much, but on one, it's flexible. So if you're stepping on this thing, unless you're doing Irish dancing, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to do much. Also... From upstream to downstream along the grain, you're going to have more absorption laterally. Sure, it doesn't matter as much. So uh, it it it's really cool. Uh, and and by the way, for those of you who keep an eye on indoor air quality and TVOCs, total volatile organic compounds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by four weeks after installation, these emit less than ten micrograms. Okay, so so translate that for me into yeah, I'll never measure it. Okay, all right, there we go. That a, uh, a <laughs> sneezy canary emits more. <laughs> <laughs> all right, these are LVT planks and Tarquette's even plane series. They come in lots of styles and colors. Tarquette.com, T-A-R-K-E-T-T, Tarquette.com. Okay, and that brand's probably your local flooring store or their competitor. <laughs> or their competitor. <laughs> <laughs> Just look around. You'll find it. <laughs> Crescent it. tools. We knew them for wrenches or the, and they're, they're yes. a whole bunch. It's an apex thing. So they're all over the place. Yeah, yeah. If your power tools include any drills or drivers that don't have a chuck to hold the bits, okay. it probably has an end that holds a hex shank with a large or small indentation. That's yeah, speed yeah. load or quick load or whatever. they mm -hmm. little magnet in it and yeah. all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Most of the time, these simplify the work, but sometimes the way that works and with a, a lot of the things having an extra hammer or baby hammer mode, impact mode, that can tear the bit apart. Yeah. So yeah. some bits are impact rated, whether they are or not. Mm -hmm. Crescent has a vortex bit holder that goes between the tool and the bit, has two internal impact eating zones, and they claim that can extend bit life by five hundred times the bit will wow, outlive okay. you brother yeah 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 <laughs> so uh, so but if it's but if it's reducing the impact doesn't that change it from being an impact driver uh no because you're still getting uh, some bang for the buck you're okay. just not 
putting it all into the bit. Okay. By the way, the bit you put in is held there by a magnet, but it's an extreme magnet. So keep some pliers handy in case you need to swap that out. Sure, yeah, another one. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a Vortex bit holder from Crescent Tools. Last thing I want to talk about today, if we got a minute, is the Inuru light printing labels. And I showed you a brown long neck bottle with one of the labels yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah, a little beer bottle. And it, it glows in the dark. Well, that glows. No, it glows I mean, it's, when it's, I push the button on it. Yeah. yeah. Now, wouldn't it be cool if your medicine bottle lit up, expire, do not use when that's the case, you know? Or, sure, or, yeah. Well, Inuru, I-N-U-R-U, uh, presented the image of that medicine bottle as part of a demo of what they call light printing. It's really a flexible battery and a flexible OLED display behind a slightly thicker than usual label that can go on a battery okay. or, almost, or the right. battery, go on a bottle or almost anything else. Uh, for the demo bottles, there's a little thumbprint uh, uh, symbol on it. When you press that, it turns it on. I'm going to guess it's a thin elastomeric switch underneath, but that's just a guess. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's tech that can take us from picking up a bottle of light to picking up a bottle of lighted. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's interesting. So when when you showed that to me, uh, I didn't realize that was OLED. I was I was thinking that that was going to be uh, uh, what is it EL. Electroluminescent. Yeah, Mine. that yeah. takes a much higher voltage. Yeah, I, I, well, I don't know what the voltage now, is on that. I've never Jolt tinkered Cola. with those. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Jolt Cola. <laughs> nice, very Eek good cow, nerd reference cow, there. You know, yeah. So, so, uh, so that's interesting. Okay. So we've got flooring today. You know, we've 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 got the light up label. We've got uh, the Crescent Vortex bit holder. Uh, next time I've got some other stuff, you know, I've got, a, you've got a lot of different things that are, that are uh, now I, I should note you know, for all this stuff that you do cover, you really talk, you get a lot of things in for review. You do review these and what we've, what we've done here on the show is if you like it, you're talking about it. If you, if you hate it. Generally, it does. If I really hate it, I talk about it. If you really hate it, you talk about it. But yeah, if but, I'm just but, disappointed by it, I it, it just yeah, it. it will just yeah set it aside. And I I know from past experience, you've got a lot of stuff you set aside. So yes. uh, <laughs> amazing, amazing stuff. You always have some some neat innovations which you bring to us, and I appreciate that. Thank you, Benjamin, and thank you, Marty. Public service announcements. Computer club meetings in the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut tri-state region. Log on to the club website for more information on remote meeting ID. Brookdale Computer Users Group. Podcasts for and by you. What, why, and how. Thursday, April the 27th. Meeting time is 6.45 p.m. Virtual meeting via Zoom and their website is bcug.com. Tech Ed Connect, formerly the Westchester PC Users Group, meets Thursday, May the 4th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Their website is wpcug.org. The Amateur Computer Group of New Jersey meets Friday, May the 5th. Meeting time is 8 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Jitsi. Their website is acgnj.org. The King's Byte Computer Club meets Tuesday, May 9th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. 
and they meet at the Park Plaza restaurant at 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. And to confirm, the telephone is 347-278-7320. The New York Amateur Computer Club has a meeting Thursday, May the 11th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is nyacc.org. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, May 12th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. And their website is limac.org. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on PRN Live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email address to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy until we meet again, same time, same station, next week.